There's lots of things that I would rather talk about. Lots of things that are easier to talk about. But folks, our marriages are under attack. I think we know that. Our families are under attack. And this is a primary way that Satan is attacking us. And it's not an option to just not talk about it. We've got to talk about it. We've got to confront the lies that are being told and that are being spread in our culture with the truth. And the only way we can do that is if we're willing to talk about it. So that's what we want to do today. There's a reason we have scripture like 1 Thessalonians 4. Where the apostle says, for this is the will of God. Even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now folks, we look at this subject sometimes and we think, well this is just a young person's subject. And it's not. We've got to be teaching our young people. So that requires the older people to have an understanding of the subject so that we can teach the younger people and that we can prepare the younger people for the challenges that this life is going to present. And it's a hard challenge. And so again, we can't just ignore it. We've got to be talking about it. And we've got to teach our young people the truth. And we've got to practice the truth. And we've got to live the truth. And we've got to be talking about it. We live in a world that's becoming increasingly godless. The influence of Christianity is being exterminated. We cannot depend on the culture to provide this information. You're not going to hear what we talk about today out there in the world. And if we're not talking about it here and we're not talking about it as families, we are not preparing our children and our young people to live in an evil world. So I've got some very specific goals that I want to accomplish today. The first one, I I want us to define what fornication is. It's a Bible word. It's used frequently. But if we don't know what it's talking about, we're not going to understand what the message is. So we want to be clear in the way that we define and understand what the word means. I mentioned the, the lies that are being told. I want to challenge the lies. Because the lies sound good. The lies appeal to the flesh. The lies make sense. We've got to challenge the lies. I want to start some family conversations. That's one of my goals today. You know, as we, as we consider the subject, I'm going to stick pretty close to Scripture. Because I mentioned it's, it is hard to talk about. But there's things that need to be said. And parents, you've got to say them to your children. You know, one of the challenges is how, how do we talk about 
the subject and then make it age appropriate. I, I think that's a legitimate concern. Well, that's your job. We've got to do that as parents. And I want to remind you, parents, that the devil's not going to wait till your child is 18 years old to start lying to them. They're li- he's lying to them right now. We can't ignore it and we can't let it go. And he's lied to them through TV and movies and music and the internet and friends at school. And it's everywhere the lies are. I want to prove with Scripture that avoiding fornication has value. I want to prove that there's forgiveness and redemption. It's not an unforgivable sin. And I want to prove that God has a better way. Now, I know that's lots of things to accomplish in one sermon, but I believe God's Word will do it. So let's define the Word. And there's lots of ways to define it. And, and, and I think as we go through Scripture, it will become very uh, obvious and abundantly clear what the word means. But it's a, essentially sexual activity outside marriage. And it's a broad term. It has broad application. Lots of this going on in our world. And we need to know what it is and what the Bible says about it. And that's the simplest, most straightforward definition I can give you. Now again, parents, you need to help your kids understand what that means in an age-appropriate way. Here's the first biblical example. We know Joseph was sold into slavery. He's over there in Egypt. He's a slave. He belongs to this man by the name of Potiphar. He's a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife decides she would like to have sex with Joseph. That's what she wants to do. And so she begins to pursue Joseph. And he avoids her. Till here in Genesis 39 and verse 11, and the Bible says, And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was taking care of his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment and fled and got him out the most literal way to understand what the phrase flee fornication means that's what she wanted to do and he ran away and in our world that's a very cowardly thing to do wasn't it That's what God has called us to do. We need to do everything we can to avoid 
our putting ourselves in these kind of situations, but it don't always work. And so when the time is there, flee. Second Samuel 11, verse 12. Timothy covered this story during the meeting. And we have the contrast. Joseph ran away. David did not. David did not. Both godly men. One ran... One didn't. And you know the story of David and all of that happened as a consequence of what he did here. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. This challenge we've got is not new. And we're going to spend quite a little time here in 1 Corinthians today. Because they had a bad problem, a big challenge with this issue. And Paul lays it out as plain as it could be laid out. And so we want to look at that today. But they were, they were in an environment that was very difficult. Here in 1 Corinthians 5 in verse 1 it says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. These godless people didn't even do what these Christian people were doing and what these Christian people were tolerating. That one should have his father's wife. He was committing fornication with his stepmother. The problem. And Paul didn't just clam up and say, well, we don't need to talk about that. So we get to 1 Corinthians 6. And here, beginning in verse 13, he says, Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication. If you don't remember anything else I say today, I want you to remember what the Apostle Paul says right there. The body is not for fornication. If I can't convince you, or if we don't believe what Paul says here, this sermon's a waste of time. What he's telling us is that our Creator did not create our body for fornication. That's not what we were designed for. That's not the circumstance in which we're going to thrive. But for the Lord, that's what we were designed for. For the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His own power. 
Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? He's talking to us. He's talking to Christians. We're members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. Prostitution was common and rampant in Corinth. Everybody did it. He's calling us to something different. I don't, I, we've got prostitution in our country, but you know what's just as bad, if not worse? It's just this idea of having casual sex with whoever, whenever. Don't make any difference. It's just a physical act, right? That's a lie. We need to pay attention to what the Bible is teaching us. That's the devil's lie. And that's not what we were created for. Know ye not that that which is joined to an harlot is one body? Folks, it's not just a physical act. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Be Joseph. Be Joseph. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And he's explained what he means there. That's not what we were created for. We're not going to thrive when we practice fornication. It's harmful. Now, he says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So that's his plea. Flee fornication. It is harmful to you spiritually. So run away. Run away. You're joined to God. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And sin, any sin actually, tends to push the Spirit out. And you've got to knock your conscience down to keep doing it. And that's not the way to be close to God. Now I want to back up and notice what he said in verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So I mentioned one of my goals was that we can 
overcome fornication? Absolutely can. Don't have to define who we were, who we are. And what he says here in verse 11 is he points out to him that before you were a Christian, that's the way some of you lived. Go look in the previous verses. Is he, he lists a whole bunch of things that they were. But then they obeyed the gospel. Well, guess what? The temptation didn't leave. Their practices, whatever it was they were doing before, one of them being fornication, the temptation didn't just go away. And so that's why he goes on to explain in verses 13 through 20 why it's important that they make this change. Colossians 3 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, But put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So those things are in us. We have that desire. We've got to restrain it. And we got to focus it somewhere else. We'll get to that momentarily. 1 Corinthians 10, just to show you the magnitude of the problem they had in Corinth. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. So see, whatever's going on in our world, there's nothing new under the sun. And the Apostle Paul covers the issue here and he gives us the information that we need to overcome this challenge. And it's what we've got to be talking about. And we've got to be sharing the truth with our children and with anyone that's willing to listen. Now, there's a godly alternative. So I want to talk about that this morning. Proverbs 28 and verse 13, the, the proverb says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And this is just a general truth that applies to every single sin. But it applies to the sin of fornication. So what you have to do to overcome that and to have forgiveness is confess it and forsake it. And we have mercy. It's not something that permanently keeps us from drawing close to God. Romans 1. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, 
burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And I know he's very clearly talking about the practice of homosexuality here. It's what he's talking about. And homosexuality is just one form of fornication. But I want you to notice the argument that he puts before us here. When people practice homosexuality, they leave the natural use of the woman. I think this is important, y'all. In our desire to protect our children from fornication, sometimes we poison their mind to the idea of sexual relations. And when we do that, we have done them a great disservice. Outside of marriage, yes. Inside of marriage, no. It's a blessing from God. And we're made that way. This attraction we have for the opposite sex is the way God made us. We weren't made for fornication. Don't poison that natural attraction. In an effort to protect your children from fornication, that's not the right way to do that. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 7 now. 1 Corinthians 6, he went through the process. He taught us and them the importance and the value of avoiding fornication. But he don't just leave it there. He gives us the tools we need to accomplish what he told us to do. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I want you to notice that phrase because we're going to come back to it later. It is good for a man to not touch a woman. He's talking about in an intimate way. He's not talking about giving your sister a hug. Nevertheless, he says, to avoid fornication. So in chapter 6, he said, flee fornication. Well, we've got these natural desires that we have, that God gave us. So he says, the way to avoid fornication is to be married. Let every man have his wife, and let every woman have her own husband. That's what we were designed for, people. 
Verse 3, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. And I spent a fair amount of time on this phrase, due benevolence, because I know what it means. But I thought maybe there was an artful way to define it. And there probably is. Well, I know there is because Paul does it. He defines it for us right here. We don't have to wonder what he means. The wife hath not power of her own body. That's what the phrase means. But, but the husband, and likewise also, the husband had not power of his own body, but the wife. Do we understand how powerful those verses are? I appreciate Jacob praying for our marriages this morning. That's some, that's a, we ought to do that often. But do we understand the power of this message? You know what fornication is? Fornication is all about me. It is all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I think is going to satisfy my desire. And marriage is just the opposite of that. It's all about my spouse. That's his message here. And that's the contrast between Satan's lie and the truth of God's Word. And fornication is never going to give you the satisfaction that God's plan does. But if we don't do in our marriages what God's plan very clearly states for us, then we're going to have trouble. And too often, and I know I'm meddling, and I know I'm getting personal, but Paul did it first. Too often we use our relations in our marriages as a bargaining tool and as punishment and in all kinds of things that we can dream up. And we don't do what he said and then we wonder why we're having trouble. It's not about you. It's about your spouse. Defraud ye not one another. What does that mean? That means the marriage vow, in the marriage vow, you made a commitment. Don't defraud it. You said, I'm going to do something. You can't just decide, oh, well, I don't want to do that. Defraud you not one another. Except it be with consent. There's obviously times... Health reasons, other reasons. Except that we with consent that may, you may give yourselves to prayer and fasting. That's a great idea for a time. That Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. Remember where he started here in 1 Corinthians 7? To avoid fornication. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. 
But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. I'll just tell you folks, I mean, I, and I get it. I know there's times that we need to be cautious. But I'm reluctant to tell people they don't need to get married. Yes, you can be too young. I, I know I get all the stuff. But he very clearly says it's better to marry than to burn. He's talking about passion, burning with passion. And here's the reason I'm reluctant and cautious to say, well, you, you don't need to get married because we, we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen the religious groups that decided their clergy didn't need to get married. How has that worked out? We don't want to be a part of this group that Paul talks about here in 1 Timothy 4. Matthew 19, Jesus says of the marriage relationship, he said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? This is the way God made us. It's God's design. There's nothing wicked or evil about it in the marriage relationship. And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That's God's plan. That's God's design. That's what God made us for. And folks, that's when we're going to thrive. We got a godly marriage. So how do we get there? Now this part of my study is for young and or unmarried people. Because I think it's fairly easy for us to understand that marriage is where we need to be. But it's a challenge to get there for young people. And I think I've got three slides here where I've got some comments and these are not my comments. I just failed to note the guy's name so I could give him credit. But this makes sense to me. Now, when I started reading this, my first concern was this phrase, godly dating. Because when I thought about that, I thought, you know, dating is really not a biblical concept, is it? There's a lot of information that we need to use when we're choosing a spouse. But just this idea of dating. But then as I continued to think about that, I thought, well, 
I mean, dating is the process that our culture has developed to find a mate, right? So if we're going to do it that way, we need to do it in a godly way. So my conclusion was, is that there is a way to have a godly dating process. So that's my goal in this part of our study. If we're going to date, let's date in a godly way. Okay, so here this guy says, godly dating seems to be about finding the right person for me. And that, that, that's referencing this idea that I, that I want to find my soulmate, right? There's somebody out there that is my soulmate. And, and I, so I just want to go through this dating process till I find that person. But when we put a biblical perspective on it, dating is more about being the right person. Not finding the right person, but being the right person. It's a completely different idea, isn't it? And folks, I'll just tell you, I guess this is my opinion, but you don't find your soulmate. You make them. You make your soulmate. And that's part of how you do it, is by you be being the right person. And being the right person, you would want to serve your future spouse's needs and be a God-glorifying husband or wife. That should be our goal, and that should be the goal of the process, to find a godly mate. Then he says, in modern dating, intimacy precedes commitment. In biblical dating, commitment precedes intimacy. Okay? He's talking about fornication there. And I know people say, well, that marriage thing, that, that's just a piece of paper. No, 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 no. It's not just a piece of paper, folks. It's a commitment. It's a vow that you take and you make a commitment. And that's a hugely important when it comes to the idea of intimacy. Nothing casual about it. The modern dating approach tells us that the way to figure out whether I want to marry someone is to act like we're married. Right? Makes sense. We'll test this thing out and see if we like it. And this way we can avoid divorce, right? That's our whole goal here. We don't want to, we don't want to get involved in a divorce and that's a great goal. You're right, we don't. But I want you to notice his next statement. We're out for the test drive, right? If we like it, then we make it official. We get married. But if we don't like it and we just decide to move on, hey, it was just physical. 
Didn't make any difference. Wrong. We go through something emotionally and probably physically like a divorce. Do we see that? Our whole goal here was to avoid a divorce. And what we've actually created replicates a divorce. In biblical dating, the scripture guides us how to find a mate and marry. And the Bible teaches, among other things, that we should act in such a way as not to imply a marriage-level commitment until that commitment actually exists before the Lord. So Proverbs 31, who can find a virtuous woman? It's worth the effort to find a good, godly woman. And vice versa, girls. It's worth the effort. Titus 1 in verse 15. Under the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Young people, it's worth waiting. And you can just, you can hear that and you can say, well, that's just an old fuddy-duddy or whatever you want to say about it. But it's the message of God's Word. Keep yourself pure. And I know that verse is not about marriage. It has a broad application, but it certainly would apply to the dating process. Brian Moody took a look at Psalms 119 a few weeks or I guess months ago now, but he covered this verse, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. God's word will guide us through this dating process, through the process of getting us from single to God. Godly marriage. So here's some things that I'm going to offer. Keys to success. You got to buy what I just said first. You got to believe it. You got to believe that there's value in saving yourself for marriage. If you don't believe that, The other things are not going to matter. If you believe that, you have a faith in what God's Word has taught us, then you've got to make a commitment. I am going to keep myself pure through this process. Then as you begin dating, you need to act and you need to dress modestly. You're playing with fire in as literal a sense as it can be. You're playing with 
fire. Don't be flipping about it. If you're going to commit to keeping yourself pure, you can't play with the fire. So that means that you're going to choose godly things to do when you're dating. And that means you're going to keep yourself out of tempting situations. You're going to limit alone time. Do y'all remember, I, I guess if you're not into politics, you probably won't remember this, but two or three years ago, Mike Pence was the vice president at the time, and he said, as a matter of practice, I do not put myself in a situation where I'm alone with another woman. And man, he just got excoriated for how foolish that was. There's nothing foolish about it. It's an acknowledgement of the fact that the devil's at work. Now, I'm not suggesting today that I think we all have to practice that very thing. But it wouldn't hurt. I know you're really not going to like this one. But you want to keep yourself pure, limit your physical contact. I don't think, well, I know. Boys and girls, men and women are different. I hope you'll take my word for it. If you want to get this accomplished through the dating process, you will limit your physical contact. And avoid long engagements. I know they serve a legitimate purpose. I, I get that. But we're trying to avoid fornication. Right? Let's not forget that. Proverbs 6, can a man take a fire, hold a fire, and not be burned? He's talking about these issues. And his clothes not be burned. Can one go up on hot coals and his feet not be burned? We play with fire. We get burned. 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Apply that verse to the dating process. Bring every thought to the obedience of Christ.
And you can do it. You can. And you'll be made fun of. You absolutely will. You know, there's some movie. I don't know nothing about it. All I know is the name of the movie is The 40-Year-Old Virgin. And who? That's ridiculous. God bless you if you're a 40-year-old virgin. If you're not married, that's what you need to be. Cast down the imaginations. All of these ideas that are out there in the world, God's Word will help us get rid of them. First Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That's my last verse. I wanted to close with the goals I mentioned earlier. I hope we've accomplished some of those in part. And I hope that we'll take God's Word and we'll believe God's Word and we'll live God's Word and we'll stand up for God's Word and we'll teach our children God's Word. Never want to close without offering an invitation. We never know the hearts of those that are present. If you have need of the prayers of the brethren for a spiritual reason, we would encourage you to come and make that desire known. Or if you need to be baptized this morning, we would like to help you with that as well. One or more of either group, please come as we sing the invitation song.